We're doing a series on the journey of the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt all the way to their promised land. And today I want to talk about crossing the Jordan River into the promised land. Now, we all know as Kiwis that New Zealand has lots of rivers. And every year there are many fatalities in crossing rivers and in water sports on rivers in New Zealand. I used to do a lot of tramping when I was younger. And one Christmas, my, uh, two of my six brothers, me and my dad, decided that we were going to do the Hollyford track. And that's a track that goes from the Tianau Milford Road through to the west coast at Martins Bay. And so we headed off on this track and uh, we ended up staying at Lake Makero Hut, which is at the beginning of Lake Makero. And the following day, we had to do the Demon Trail, which was a trail that went along the right-hand side of Lake Makero towards the coast. And it was called the Demon Trail because it was a long trail, it was slippery, it was up and down. Today, you don't have to do that. You can get a jet boat past it. <laughs> and, you know, when people go tramping, there's different types of trampers. There's people that have to sort of stop and have a drink every half an hour or take a lot of photos every 10 minutes. But I'm sort of one of these guys that likes to get to my destination and when I get there, relax. And so I sort of headed off on this demon trail and uh, then... Just before the hut we were going to, which was called the Hakuri Hut, was the Hakuri River. And the Hakuri River is one of the most dangerous rivers in New Zealand because it's a mountain stream and it flows very, very quickly. There's actually a photo next to it showing uh, someone's boots and they say, look, if the water is deeper than this, you can't walk across on your own. So I thought, oh, look, the hut's on the other side, I'll cross this river and I'll put the billy on so that when the rest of the guys come, we can have a cup of tea. And um, So I start walking across this river, and I get probably about a third of the way across, and I realise that it's very dangerous, and that if you lose your footing in a river like that, you don't get back on your feet again. And so I thought, oh, well, I'd better wait for the rest of the guys. And so they arrived, and good river-crossing procedure is that if it's a a fast-flowing stream, you link arms, and you have the strongest person facing upstream. So the four of us linked arms, we started going across, and then we realised that it was too swift for us to cross together. And so we went back to the shore, and we looked for a tree branch, and we linked arms through the tree branch, and we went across together. The idea was that if we'd lost our footing, we could float down the river on the branch, and we would probably be okay. When we got to the hut, we saw that the last entry in the, in the logbook at the hut was a search and rescue party that had gone looking for two deer stalkers, and their entry in the book was gone hunting on the right bank of the river. And those hunters were never seen again. And so here in New Zealand, we have to be very careful about river crossing. And so here's the Israelites. They've been on this journey. 
They've been stuck in that wilderness going round that same mountain for 40 years. And finally, God says to them, it's time to cross the river into the promised land. Now, the only people that were permitted to enter into the promised land were Joshua and Caleb and people who were under the age of 20 when those spies went into the land and said, no, we don't want to go, we don't think it's safe, we want to stay on this side of the river. So they were all young people apart from Joshua and Caleb. And imagine them standing on this bank of the river. They've got the sparse desert extending for miles behind them. But across the river is the promised land. A land with lots of water, a lot, a lot of vegetation, uh, plants, animals. A flourishing land. And so the choice is easy. They'd made a mistake last time. Cross the river, obey God, do what he's telling us to do and enjoy this wonderful land that he has promised us. Surely they couldn't make that same mistake again. But in a moment of doubt, two of the tribes began to falter and they think again of the dangers, the challenges and the giants. They begin to lose faith in God just as their fathers had done 40 years previously. And so the tribes of Reuben and Gad and half the tribe of Manasseh, they were cattle herders. And that land on the east bank of the Jordan was actually very good for herding cattle. And so they had a choice between obeying God and doing what was most comfortable for them. Finally, those tribes stood up and in Numbers 32, verses 16 and 17, they said, we don't want to go. We want to stay on this side. You go, we'll help you fight, but we want to come back here. And history tells us that these tribes never settled in the promised land. They ignored God's word and they missed out on God's best for them. You know, it's often easier to live in a place of safety than it is to do what God is commanding us to do. And so each of us this morning stands on the bank of our own river, facing our moment of truth. We gather here today for many reasons. But what calls us together is our desire to worship God, to be encouraged by fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, and to learn from God's word, which is truth, and to obey his call. Taupo Topo is a city with many spiritual and physical challenges. And we bring God's love, God's compassion, salvation and service to this city. We know God's commission to us as his church and he has invited each of us on a journey with him. Our God is an equipper and an empowerer. What God purposes, he enables us to do. Our job is to obey his call 
and allow him to use each one of us. And so the first obstacle that confronted them was the flooded Jordan River, stretching along the whole border of Canaan. What should they do? They asked the Lord. And he said, step into the river and I'll stop its flow. And so Joshua placed the Ark of the Covenant on the shoulders of 12 priests and told them to walk into that raging, flooded river. Let's read what happens from Joshua 3, verses 15 to 17. As soon as the feet of the priests who were carrying the ark touched the water at the river's edge, the water began piling up at a town upstream called Adam, which is near Zarathan. Now that's interesting, because the water didn't start piling up right next to where they were. It started piling up in a town called Adam that was 18 kilometers away. And the, water below, and the water below that point flowed on to the Dead Sea. So the water banks up at this town called Adam. It keeps flowing down. The water that's gone past Adam, the rest behind it banks up. And so that water from Adam to where they were crossing at Jericho still had to pass down the river course. And the water below that point flowed on to the Dead Sea until the riverbed was dry. Then all the people crossed over near the city of Jericho. Meanwhile, the priests who were carrying the Ark of the Lord's Covenant stood on dry ground in the middle of the riverbed as the people passed by them. They waited there until everyone had crossed the Jordan on dry ground. I've often thought what it must have been like to be one of those priests. What were they thinking when they waded out into that flooded river? How long did it take for the miracle to happen? Did they hesitate? Was there a little shingle bank or island in the middle that they stood on while the water passed by until all the water had gone by for the rest of the people to cross over? To enjoy God's blessing in our lives, there are times when we need to step out in faith before we see the results that God has promised us. When we studied the crossing of the Red Sea, we saw that there was a parallel between that and water baptism. Crossing the Jordan River symbolizes the baptism or infilling of the Holy Spirit. Because once they had crossed that Jordan River, things were different. God went before them. The power of God was with them in a special way. Priests with trumpets led them into battle. They marched around the city of Jericho in silence for seven days, finally shouting and watching the walls crash down around them. God miraculously won that battle for them. And then we had people like Gideon who sent uh, 30,000 soldiers back home said he didn't need them. And he defeated the Midianites with 300 torch-carrying trumpet blowers. 
This enabled them to possess the new land that God had given them. Imagine if they'd crossed over the river, but they'd just been content to live next door to it. If that had happened, they would have missed out on God's purpose of possessing and inhabiting those lands and those cities. We also have a promised land to possess and to reclaim from the evil one. But many believers today are content with less than God's best. And they fail to press on to spiritual victory in their lives and in their communities. Being filled with the Holy Spirit enables God's power to flow into us and through us. Spiritual authority has been given to us to tear down spiritual strongholds, to proclaim Christ's kingdom, and to glorify Christ here on earth. Have a look at Ephesians 6 verse 12. It says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. In Ephesians 5.18, Do not be drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. And in Acts 1.8, it says, But when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you will receive power and will tell people about me everywhere. Have you been filled with the Holy Spirit? Are you full now? Because it's an ongoing condition. We all leak. In Acts 2, we read about the initial outpouring of the Holy Spirit that came upon the new church. Peter got up and he preached. And in Acts 2, verses 38 and 39, he said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promises for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. That promise is for us. We're afar off, but it's for us as well. And after Peter gave that message, 3,000 people accepted Christ and were baptized. The infilling of the Holy Spirit releases power for us to be effective witnesses of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 4 verse 20, For the kingdom of God does not consist of words, but of power. Sometimes we can talk to someone, but they're not listening. The words are just washing over them. But sometimes we can speak with authority, and God takes those words and touches people's hearts in all sorts of ways. This same group of people were filled again in Acts chapter 4, verse 31. It says, After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. This is the same group that had been filled earlier on in Acts 1. They're filled again in Acts 4. 
A container is not completely full until it overflows. The fullness of the Holy Spirit is measured by overflow. We can't give out unless we're overflowing. And so this is a condition to encourage and maintain people to do today. We don't expect a tank of petrol to last the lifetime of our car. Yet sometimes we wonder why we run out of spiritual energy and vitality. The Spirit of God desires to continually fill us and refresh us. There's no limit to how much of God we can receive. John 3 verse 34. For the one whom God has sent speaks the words of God and gives the Spirit without limit. We can restrict the, the flow of the Holy Spirit by overthinking and rationalizing things, just like the Israelite people did. You know, the Jordan River flows into the Dead Sea, but the Dead Sea doesn't have an outlet, and so that water becomes stagnant, and nothing will grow in the Dead Sea. And it's the same in our lives. What we learn, the teaching we receive, we have to outwork it in our lives. We can go to conferences, we can listen to podcasts, we can forever be learning. But if we're not applying what we're learning, we become stagnant. The Spirit of God desires to fill us and to refresh us every day. The Holy Spirit is released in us through faith, compassion for other people, and obedience to what God is telling us to do. Faith and compassion are never self-centered. Every time we focus on our own self-centered desires, we block out the Holy Spirit. A person who is full of the Holy Spirit will never be ungrateful, complaining, resentful, or proud. Because these attitudes block off the inflow of the Holy Spirit and they prevent us from being filled. When we resist temptation and obey God, we expand our ability to be filled. Every time we show kindness, love other people, sacrifice our own self-interests, humble ourselves, apologize, speak to someone about Jesus, or exercise our spiritual gifts, we open ourselves up to receive even more of the Holy Spirit. Jesus made himself nothing. He took on the nature of a slave or a servant. And following Jesus into servanthood is the pathway into the Spirit-filled life. The, the infilling of the Holy Spirit is linked to obedience. In Acts chapter 5, verse 32, it says, God gives the Holy Spirit to those that obey. And so every time we yield to what the Holy Spirit is telling us to do, that infilling continues. When we resist and disobey, 
we put a blockage, an obstacle in the way of the Holy Spirit. So Paul encourages us in Galatians 5 verse 16 to walk in the Holy Spirit. It's a step-by-step process. We can either walk in the flesh where we do what we want, or we can walk in the Spirit where we're open and obedient to what the Holy Spirit is telling us to do. Alexander the Great, most of you have heard of him, was a great leader and general. And he led his armies from victory to victory. His conquests brought him to the foot of the Himalayan mountains. And he wanted to go beyond the mountains. Yet no one knew what was on the other side of those mountains. There was no map. Senior officers were troubled by his new vision. They had to decide whether they'd live within their boundaries or follow their leader off the map. They chose to follow Alexander. And following the leading of the Holy Spirit can present us with a similar dilemma. The Holy Spirit wants to lead us into truth, but following and obeying him may sometimes lead us off the map, beyond what we know and are comfortable with. We can successfully do this if we recognize his presence above all else. We can learn how to release the Holy Spirit into a location or a situation. We are light and we shine best in dark places. It could be in our workplace or in this community. Jesus said in John 6 verse 63, My words are spirit and they are life. Jesus brought life and wholeness everywhere he went. He changed the atmosphere around him. Some of you will have heard of Heidi Baker, who is a, a missionary in Mozambique. She returned to the USA because she was run down and she was burnt out. She attended a conference where Randy Clark was preaching. Randy pointed at her and said, God is asking you, do you want Mozambique? He didn't even know who she was. She felt the anointing of God fall upon her. She felt so hot that she literally thought that she was going to burn up and die. She heard the Lord speak clearly to her heart, saying, I want you dead. God wanted her dead to self, so he could pour more of his Holy Spirit into her life. For seven days she was unable to move. The weight of God's glory was so heavy upon her, that she couldn't even lift her head. This is what she wrote. The awesome presence of God completely changed my life. I never felt so humbled, never felt so poor, so helpless, so vulnerable. The Lord spoke to me about relinquishing control to him. I was a type A driven person, and God had to break and humble me. He showed me my total inadequacy to do anything in my own strength. God had to remove so much from me 
so that he could do something in and through me. After that transforming experience, everything in my ministry changed. He brought me to a place of utter dependence on him. And you know, whenever, when she went back to Mo Mozambique, she had an incredible anointing of God. She would go into vill villages and she would say, bring me the people in this village that are deaf. And she would pray for them and they would all receive their hearing. And then she would share the gospel and these people would come to Jesus and revival broke out everywhere she went. And she started setting up these orphanages for homeless uh, young children whose parents had died of AIDS. And money came in from all over the world to support this incredible work. So it was after jo Joshua and the leaders stepped into the river that the water stopped flowing. Now, why didn't God just stop the flow of that river early on in the morning so that they could just walk across? Things happen in much the same way on our spiritual journey. God says, go, and it may appear as though there's no way ahead. Then, as we are obedient and take a step of faith, a door opens up before us. Is God leading you toward a flooded river? Are you following obediently or screaming in protest? Following faithfully, keeping your focus on the Lord who goes before you. The infilling of the Holy Spirit releases an anointing and a boldness that's desperately needed in the church today. Are we as a community of believers prepared to cross that river together this morning? There's so much more for those who are hungry for more of God. Luke 11 verse 13. God gives the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. Ask him this morning. We all need more of God. We need to break free from our fear of people. We may want God to fill us, but we're clutching tightly to those things of the world. As we let other things go, he's able to fill us more and more. Let's pray. Father God, we acknowledge that we cannot fully perform your work without the help of your Holy Spirit. Father, this morning we let go of those things that are blocking you from being Lord of our lives. Our self-centeredness, our pride, and our greed. May the wind and fire of heaven fall afresh on us this morning. Lord, come and possess us. Give us a hunger for you. Help us to step out of our comfort zones. We want your best for this church, for this city and this nation. Jesus breathed on his disciples and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Father, breathe on us and release the Holy Spirit on us in greater measure this morning.